Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, thanks again for joining with us here on Faith in Your Recovery. We're just thankful that you're alongside. We have a guest here today that I'll introduce in a moment. But I want to I want to give you a piece of news that's pretty exciting for us here with our podcast. Our book, Recovery Conversations with Randy Davis, now available Amazon. Fifteen ninety-five. It tells the story of several of the individuals we've interviewed, the ones who've gotten probably the greatest listenership. Their stories just seem to fit, and and it's the kind of advice that people that have no idea where to turn now they have some place to go. This is almost a go-to kind of manual, so check it out. Give it a try. We're sure you'll enjoy and shoot us back any questions or comments that that you might have. We will welcome that. Recoveryconversations.org. Thank you. Hey, our guest today, recovery rock star? I don't know. Star of some type. Anybody is who makes it out of that darkness and gets into the light. Jeff Passo out of Newcastle. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Hey, we're excited to hear your story, to know what's going on in your life now, to get a little of the background. Let's just begin there. Tell us a little of your background story, your early life before the addiction. Okay, so I was raised, born and raised on the east side of Indianapolis, and I grew up in a pretty normal home. Um, I did notice as as a kid that, um, like, my brother had a better relationship with my dad, and he had a better relationship with my dad's parents. Uh, my relationship was better with my mother's parents, and I was very close to them. So your brother, is he older or younger? He's younger. Okay. And so I always knew that something wasn't right, but it wasn't until I was about 13 that I found out that he was my stepdad. And so my, my brother was his and my mom's child. My dad um, just was absent. Um, I'm 55, and I've never seen a picture of my dad, and I don't even know what his name was. Okay, okay. So when you find out that your dad wasn't around or your dad didn't care enough to stick around and you look at your friends and you see that their dads are there, it, it kind of uh, kind of makes you feel a certain way. I would think there'd be a little abandonment issue there and some wonderings, what did I do, et cetera, et cetera. I haven't been there. I'm not speaking for you, so correct me if I missed the target. But that had to be an awkward moment. 
Yes. It's just, um, I believe that there's, there's four things that everybody needs, and that's love, acceptance, worth, and purpose. Go back over those again, please. I want the folks to pick up on that. Love, acceptance, worth, and purpose. Love, acceptance, worth, and purpose. Yes. Awesome. Explain those to us, how kind of you define those experientially for us, please. Well, I, th- I think everyone wants to feel loved. And, and they want to be accepted by um, their families, their friends, their peers. Um, Have that validation. Right, right. And then you want to you feel like, I, I think if you don't have that love and acceptance, it, it kind of lowers your self-esteem and you, and you don't have a high evaluation of yourself. That's a low self-worth. Low self-worth. And when you have a low self-worth, you get in that mindset that there's, I have no purpose. I'm just here. There's, I just have no purpose. Four links of the same chain is what it sounds like to me. And you need all those links strong in order to pull your way through life. Right. Okay. And so my mom, she she felt bad about the situation. Sure. So trying to do the right thing, she sheltered me a lot. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't allowed to go out of the yard or, or go and, and talk to other people. And she was just trying to keep me safe. I understand that now. So basically, socially, I didn't have any peers. I didn't have anything which just added to the love, the acceptance, the worth, and the purpose. I just felt alone. And so eventually, when I was able to get out of the house, I started hanging out with some people. What, what was your age at this time? Um, probably about 14. Okay. And so I met some people and, you know, they, they were inviting me to parties and they were talking about, you know, drug use, alcohol use. And they said, you need to come to this party. You know, this is, this is the end thing. Everybody's doing this. I love that phrase. Everybody's doing something. We know it's a lie, but we fall for it. All of us. Right. And so they talked me into it and I was a very socially backwards you know as far as communicating with people and and being confident when i talk to people but what i found out is you know when i was high or when i was drunk i was kind of like the loudest one in the room and and people liked that you were accepted and people accepted me and, and i felt like i was worth something and so i came to the decision or the uh, assumption that this was my purpose. Makes sense. It all fell into place there, didn't it? And it gave you everything you were searching for. Uh, right. You know, in its own way. You know better now, obviously. But at that time, at the age of 14, 
We all want to fit and be accepted. Uh, We may not be able to label our worth, but we want, as I said earlier, we want to be validated in that and get that pat on the back and that encouragement. And we'll find it somewhere with group A or group B, and it's not always the best of choices. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Uh, tell us how that led you into your your addiction. I know you just said alcohol and drugs. So were you going both ways? With, you know, were you into the alcohol and also into the drugs? Yeah, I was, I was into both of those. And I would say probably the first nine years I was, that's just what my whole life was. It was about waking up, partying till late in the night, getting some sleep and getting back up and just doing that. That's that's what I lived for. So that, that was my was life. through your teen years and early 20s? Is that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I kind of get up 14 to 23, that kind of thing. Boy, those are, those are vital years that can turn us any direction. And, uh, yeah. So what, what did your struggle look like? What did your addiction look like? What was it doing to you? How did it play out? How was it scrambling your life? I don't think that it it really bothered me too much until I got married and had had children. And then that's where you you kind of think about, you know, you want to do the right thing. And so then that's kind of the struggle is you know, the very things that I don't want to do, I do. Paul tells us that in Corinthians, doesn't he? I love the way yeah. he says it. It's so confusing and clear at the same time. I can't do what I want to do, but I'm always doing what I don't want to do. And when I do it, I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I do it anyhow. That is yeah. not uh, exact verse by any means. Uh, okay. Go on through that. How old were you when you got married? Probably, probably 23. Okay. Okay. And, you know, she, she kind of had her struggles with alcohol and her different struggles and I had mine. And so we were, we were married for a while and it, it just didn't work out. And so we, we kind of parted ways, not in a, not in a friendly way, but we just, we parted ways and we just never worked that out. Um, then I met another girl who is actually my wife now. And so the first five years of that relationship was not very good either. So the same struggles as with my first one. I want to do what's right, but I don't know how to do what's right. Yeah, yeah. And back back in that time, there wasn't as many 
supports as there is now. Exactly. And so you, you kind of got to maybe figure it out on your own. Well, and you had to whisper you even had an issue. Yeah. Right. You couldn't voice it like we can here today. So that's certainly been a change. So what, what was the lights on moment to where you decided I'm going to beat this thing? What happened that made you think you could climb out of the darkness of the hole of addiction that you were in? Well, it was about five years into our relationship with with my, my wife now, and things just still weren't working out. And she, she kind of gave me an ultimatum. She just basically said, look, you need to figure something out because I'm, I'm pretty clear with what I want to do. And if you can't figure it out, I'm moving on. And, and so my wife now, she's, she's never had any kind of struggles with any substances at all. And so that's what really got me thinking about, you know, I, I don't want her to move on. I, I really need to figure something out because, you know, looking back at my life, it's just one disaster after another. And so she, she grew up in church, but she, she experienced some church hurt and she just kind of left the church. Understand? But she would always go to church with her grandma on Christmas and Easter. Rave for grandmas. They got a lot of us started. And so I said, you know, why don't you just stay home? I don't I don't want to go. Why don't you just stay home? And she said, Well, I've always went with my grandma and you can either go or you can stay home. And so I went and I think I think, you know, that's when the, the Lord started tugging on my heart a little bit. And so we started going to church, but it just, I don't know, I just really didn't feel accepted there. And so I wanted to go, but I didn't want to go. And so I talked to my wife about it, and she said, um, well, let me ask the pastor about um, my old youth pastor because I really loved him and I wonder where he's at. And so she asked him and they said, Oh, well, you know, he, he's in Knightstown and he fell off the wagon. He's wearing shorts. And I told my wife, I said, a rebel. That's, that's what I like. <laughs> and so I like that fell off the wagon that he's wearing shorts. That's, uh, well, I'll leave it at that. Okay, go ahead. So we started going to this church, and the pastor, he was he was just wonderful. Um, everybody was really accepting. And so I started listening to the sermons a little bit and going to the Bible studies, but I was still a hearer and not a doer. Gotcha. And so 
um, we went to a church camp. She took me to a church camp, and it, it really freaked me out. And so they they did an altar call, and so everybody went up front, and I was just standing back there just like I didn't know what to think. So this this little old lady, she came up to me, and she said, you don't know me. She said, but God wanted me to tell you that he's got great things for your life. And she walked away. So long story short, a couple months after that, I was going to pick up my son from the babysitter. He was just eight months old. He was going down a country road, going about 65 miles an hour, and someone pulled out in front of me. Oh, my and so I hit this guy so hard, he went across the seat, out the passenger window. Wow. And I just blacked out. And so while I was blacked out, I can still remember it. God showed me this vivid, very vivid slideshow. And it was just a lot of slides, like a slide when I OD'd, a slide when somebody pulled a gun on me, and it just kept going. And the very last slide was that little old lady. And I woke up. And so when I woke up, I got out of the car. And from the front bumper to the door was gone. It was inside with me. And so when they when they arrived, they said, you shouldn't be alive. And they asked me if I had a seatbelt on. And I said, well, I did have one on, but something just told me to take it off at the last minute and lay down. And he said, look at that vehicle. I would never say this in court, but if you would have had your seatbelt on, you would be decapitated right now. And I just knew from that moment what God was telling me. Folks, don't get confused here. We're not trying to tell you not to wear your seatbelts. We're telling no. you what happened in Jeff's experience, right. okay? Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to throw that in. So it was shortly after that that um, I we had a guest speaker. I, I went up front. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and... Um, the pastor told me, he said, when you walk out of this church, he said, you will never touch another drug. And I haven't for 23 years. How old were you then? You said you were 55. If I do the math right, take away 23. Uh, about 32. About 32 years old. Okay. Wow. Wow. So you've been clean, sober. Over how many years? Twenty be twenty four years next year. Congratulations, congratulations. Uh, what what have been your coping mechanisms? What are the tools that you have used to stay clean and to stay sober? Number one, I know's God. I get that. Uh, number two's God, and so number three, and all the others. But there are some tools that you've been able to pick up, I'm sure. What has helped you maintain your sobriety? Um, most of it has just been God. Like, I just got into the Word, 
and I've stayed in it. Like I'm in it all the time. And then just surrounding myself with like-minded people. Amen. Who are wanting to go the same direction as me. And then as I'm taking in new positive people, I'm cutting out old negative people. That that's extremely important. That combination, the old change of people, places, and things. Right. The first group to accept you were not the kind that were going to help you with a positive future. And then you had the experiences kind of on again, off again at church. And then you got away from church and got to God. And uh, that's the ultimate. And I'm not putting a rap on churches. I was a pastor for 35 years. But the church isn't going to change your life. Your willingness and obedience to God is what changes your life. The church can influence that. It can advise, teach, train, disciple. I get all of that. But I've always said that, you know, God is the answer. God will give you, but he won't do the work for you. And you've you've done the work. You've gotten in his words. You've gotten in a positive place in your life. You you maintain those relationships with with positive people. Uh, what would you say right now to someone contemplating their first steps toward recovery? Now, I know that, that, that God's our first thought, but I don't believe God is the first answer for some because they've had a negative experience with God. They've gone through this or that. And I'm not blaming God for that, folks. But I recognize, speaking of God, is babble to some people that they aren't ready for him. And it doesn't mean he won't be involved. But what is the advice you like to give to somebody who, man, I want to get out of this. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. What would you say to them? Um, I would, I would say a lot of thought because as addicts, this is something that we do not do and living in the, the world that we live in now, we have so many things around us to keep us occupied (laughs) and we really just don't ask ourselves those serious questions you know what like a question is if i continue the way that i'm going now what will my life look like in six months and that's a very powerful question in six months am i going to see hope or am i going to see more hopelessness and i agree 100 percent. but i will just simply add to that That's not for those in addiction only. That's for all of us. Where's our life going to be in six months if we keep going in the direction we're headed? Okay, go ahead with more of that. Um, If you were told that you only had four months to live, how much differently would you live your life? What would you do different? These are all um, 
self-reflecting questions that just just my experience from working with so many people, we just don't stop and ask ourselves these questions. And the other advice would be just get grounded with some good Christian people. Because the problem that I, I always encounter is it, it lies in faith, having faith in something that you don't have evidence for or that you can't see. But when you can give people everyday examples of how much faith that we really have, it just clicks with them. Let me ask you a pretty bold question here. It's been addressed to me several times. I'll go ahead and ask you, simply want your opinion. Do you believe recovery is possible without your God? Now, when I say that, I know some refer to him as the higher power if that goes together, but it doesn't have to. I'm okay with the words higher power uh, because, again, we're, we're getting to know God on a personal basis, and we've got to start somewhere. But uh, do you believe recovery is possible without God, without faith, as you called it here a moment ago? Well, I— I, I mean, I can't really speak for others. I can say that without God, I wouldn't I wouldn't be who I am today, and I probably would either be in prison or or not be here. I believe that that is what that is what helped me. That's a fair answer. Uh. We can't speak for others, but we can speak for ourselves, and you've recognized what it took. What, what I've realized is, you know, the, the fourth step is, you know, about doing our inventory. And, you know, it's, it's about forgiving others and forgiving ourselves and asking for forgiveness. And I just, I personally believe that it is impossible to unconditionally love or forgive someone Without the Spirit of God. Okay. Okay. I have no issue with that comment. So, thank you for sharing your story, your experiences that brought you to this place. Now, let's talk a little bit about where you are today, okay? Obviously, you've got those 23 years behind you of being clean, sober, uh, any other label you want to put on that, but... Tell us about your current life, what you're doing professionally, and uh, explain that to the folks so they know that your experience has brought you to a place that you can use it to make a difference. Go ahead. Okay, so I, I currently live in Newcastle with with my wife. Um. I own my house. It's completely paid for. I own both my vehicles. Um, I currently serve as the assistant director for the guest house men's shelter in Newcastle. I also um, have created all the programming that we do. Um, I facilitate our six-month rehab program that we offer for free 
six months rehab for free. How how do you manage that? Uh, how let me back up a little. How many individuals go through that? Is it a cyclical thing? Six months of working with X amount of people, a break, and you start again. Is that the way it works? Or if not, explain that to us. Um, we take them in as they come in. And so sometimes if, if we get people and, and some are farther ahead, I just um, I teach double classes. Okay. So it's where you're at when you come in. Somebody else may already be through two months of training, but you'll start this individual fresh, correct? Correct. All right. All right. How many individuals do you have at a time usually? Well, it's we've only been doing it a couple of years. Um, so we've had 12 go through so far and graduate. And so our success rate so far is 80%. That's pretty good batting average. Hooray. Hooray. Do you uh do you get in, do you get bits and pieces of information from those people who have gone through and graduate? Is this a total men's facility? It's it's, it's totally men. Okay. Um I do keep in contact with all of the graduates. Um my wife and I, we do cookouts for them. We do bonfires with all the graduates. And then actually some of the graduates come back to the shelter and help teach classes sometimes. That's got to be powerful. It's got to be healing and helpful for them as well as the individuals who are receiving from them because there's that identification factor, yes, yes. that uh, these guys have been there, done that, have the scars to prove it, here I am, and I see now I can make it out of here as I hear their story. Right. So that all comes together in a big way. What's your favorite part of all of that, Jeff? Uh, I don't know if that's fair, but I'm going to ask it anyhow. The, the teaching part, it's it's just the giving back and and sharing what what God has given me and and we're not meant to hold on to it we're we're meant to share it you know love is not love until it's given away and I don't I feel the very same thing about being blessed it's not a blessing until you give it away you've got to let go of it to ever hold on to it. And I think that fits well with all of that. Uh, I'm not asking for names. I know that wouldn't be appropriate. Tell us the one or two success stories that you've had there. The guest house, yes? Yes. Okay. Tell us one or two of the success stories. So one of the gentlemen in our, our first class, um, he did quite a bit of time in prison. And so um, I stay pretty close contact with, with our parole officer. And she had told me that mostly everybody was just like, you know, give up on this guy. He's, he's just been in there. And, and she said, well, I'm, I'm going to send him to this place because this is a really good place. And so he came through our program and he graduated 
um, since he's graduated, he is actually a um, shift manager at a very reputable factory in Newcastle. Um, he has his own house now, his own truck. He just bought a fifth wheel. He's and, doing well. And he's doing well. Awesome. It, that's so encouraging to you, to the program, to others coming in. That's big stuff. And then the second one would be um, a gentleman that come in. He actually had an Anthony LaVey satanic Bible when he come in. And so he told me that, you know, Christianity in the Bible was a fairy tale. That's uh, kind of what I was speaking of earlier when I said, made the comment about, yeah, we know it's God, but there are those not ready to hear that because it is a fairy tale to them. And the name God just immediately turns them off. But thank you. Go ahead with that. I want to hear this. So he is just a few months from graduating seminary and is going to fill in at a church in Greensboro, Indiana. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. That's that's simply God stuff. You and I can't do that. I know I'm not smart enough to make it happen. I always tell folks my wife will vouch for that. But uh, I, I think what makes me successful is because I lived that life. Okay. And so I can take God and I can relate it to others who are living that life because I lived that life and I understand what they need to hear and, and how to deliver it to them. Yes. And that's that's a gift that God's given me. Hooray for that. Hooray for that. If you had all the money you needed all the resources you needed, what would you like to do as far as recovery goes? Um, I would, I would definitely um, buy a, a building to, you know, do a faith-based rehab on a on a larger level but not only for men but for women as well yeah yeah you deal with those dynamics and work both ways with that awesome awesome what are some of your personal goals and when i say personal you can mix that with professional as well because i know that's it's not a nine-to-five job when you work in recovery okay we're we're constantly consumed, and I don't mean that negatively. I look forward to the work I get to do in recovery. But what what are some of your goals? Um, I think at at this point in my life, I mean, I I just mentioned a couple things. I, I've achieved so much. Um, I I think my goal for probably the rest of my days is just giving back to the recovery community. And whether that be what I do for a job, um, I also do a community group in the evening in my community. It's called Down to Worth. 
And so what I'm trying to do now is, is work with some other churches in the community so that we can get some more meetings in our community and work together instead of against each other. And so I'm just very absorbed into the recovery in our community. Awesome. Awesome. Every community needs someone like that. Uh, they need a, a cheerleader, a believer, a believer in God, number one in my mind, but a believer in those who struggle. Then indeed they can make it. So the title of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. You've touched on it over and over, but define what that title means to you. Faith in your recovery. How would you explain those words to somebody that came to you who was struggling with a with addiction? What it means to me is God is the only thing that I've ever had faith in that's given me the peace and the happiness that I've been searching, that I was searching for my whole life. You know, um, I whether I told myself that or not, I believed that being an addict was going to bring me that peace and happiness. So I, I chased this dangling carrot and had faith that a job or a substance was going to make me happy. But God is the only thing that I ever had faith in that actually changed my life. That made the difference you were hunting for. So faith is everything to me. Awesome. Awesome. Is there anything else, Jeff, you'd like to say or share before we close here? Um, I just I just want to let everybody know that... Um, Everything is possible with God. I think I've read that in that book you called the Bible a little bit ago. Maybe a, somewhere around Philippians 4.13 and how we can do all things through him. And I know there's also the scriptures about simply nothing impossible for God. So, you know, God took this guy that really wasn't doing a whole lot. I got my GED when I was 22 years old. That's all the education that I have. And and I'm doing all this at the shelter. I'm a CAPRC2 recovery coach. I'm an ordained minister, and I'm the co-chairman of an organ, a 501c3 organization in our county for substance prevention for teens. And... That's that's where God's brought me, and so there is hope. There is hope. You're never never give up. You're living proof of that, folks. Thank you, uh, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for the drive from Newcastle. Thank you for your community effort. Thank you for caring about those who have few that do care. Uh, indeed, you're a difference maker, and we celebrate that with you. So. Uh, Folks, we just invite you, don't give in, don't give up. Your answer may be around the next corner 
or ask the right question and boom, the lights may come on with the answer. But hey, don't forget, you've got to try, hang in there. It's okay. It's okay to say I need help. Help's available. We're a part of that. Get a hold of us. We'd love to talk to you. Get a hold of us at podcast at ablbh.org. God bless. Thank you. Stay in the battle.